Episode 128. This is it. We're doing it again, DB. Yeah, Jay, I'm in your uh, favorite city in North America, Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, for the uh, games three and four between the Oilers and the Colorado Avalanche. So, uh, But it's great to do another episode. The last time we did one, we were outside Crypto.com Arena, so it's been a minute. Yeah, we were there for uh, the game between the Kings and the Oilers. We can talk a little bit about what's happened since then. Uh, yes, love me some Edmonton. I'll be back there in, uh, what, early to mid August. Uh, I've never been right. to Edmonton in August. Don't know why I ever would have been there in the middle of August, but uh, this time around it'll be the the redo of the World Junior Tournament. So it's going to be weird, right. DB. We're going to get the World Juniors in Edmonton in August and then off to Nova Scotia in December. So going from one side of the country to the other. It's crazy, man. But hey, that's what the pandemic did to us. But that should be fun. But but you're going to get your fix, Jay. You, you've had withdrawal symptoms, but now you're going to get double a double shot of World Juniors for us. So I'm happy for you. Yeah, you know, it's going to be so weird because um, we're going to be getting into that time of the year on the hockey calendar where things start to ramp up. So, like, we're in a lull, although it's not a lull for you because I know you're on NHL radio and doing stuff and, and you know, that yeah. sort of thing. But we're in kind of a lull from an, from a SoCal hockey perspective. And then things will start sure. to ramp up in a couple of weeks from now. You get closer to the draft. You get uh, a prospect camp. And so the whole World Junior thing, the timing of it is going to be very odd and talking about you know, the selection of the roster and all sorts of stuff. So it's going to be a very, very, I think, uh, a different, interesting, I won't say awkward, but just a different sort of summer yeah, just than different. what we're used to. Absolutely. Just different. That's a great way to put it. Uh, so look, let's let's sort of catch up here. So the Kings were eliminated by the Oilers, as everybody knows. Then the Oilers went on to defeat Calgary rather handedly. Uh, the Calgary Flames were the talk of the Pacific Division all year long. Uh, I would say that the Kings at different times exposed the weakness of the Oilers and and kind of gave a blueprint on how to beat them or at least where there were some holes in their game. But uh, Calgary didn't, I guess, get the memo. They didn't do the pre-scout or whatnot because Edmonton <laughs> rolled over Calgary, DB. I don't think anybody outside of Edmonton really saw that one coming. No, the Flames flamed out, John, but it just shows you <laughs> if you don't get goaltending and, and you know what? Jacob Markstrom did a Mike Smith, a bad Mike Smith imitation. When Mike Smith is bad, he was terrible. That's one of the main reasons they didn't win. Plus, Kachuk really didn't do much. So to me, and here's the same question: I know Daryl won the Jack Adams Award, good for him, whatever. But there's the question: Did he push the team too hard? Did they burn out? And now, what happens in the off season? Does Johnny stay? Does Kachuk no. take a qualifying offer and walk the free agency? So it's going to be, it's going to be really interesting in Calgary. But yeah, nobody saw, nobody saw Edmonton in five. That was just. Uh, that was just the dominant performance. About, and the, the thing about it, John, was 
like Calgary didn't even play defense. Like they got outscored in every game, big time. And you would have thought maybe if they lose the series, they're going to lose two, one, three, two games. But I guess we don't play two, one, three, two games in the playoffs anymore. <laughs> well, I, to your point, they weren't playing Daryl Sutter hockey, and they certainly weren't playing Daryl Sutter mm-hmm. playoff hockey. So it was, no. it was odd. No, um, you know, <clears throat> I think what we've come to expect is that there are going to be these one game, one off games in every series where you just go, huh? What just happened, right? But that wasn't just one game. That was like five games of what's going on here. Yeah, but uh, to answer your earlier question, no, I don't think Goudreau is back. I'm sorry, what was that? No, no, that's just just agreeing with you. That's all. Yeah, um, I don't think Goudreau is back. I think he's gone. I think, you know, all signs point to him going to somewhere in sort of the uh, Pennsylvania, uh, New Jersey, you know, sort of area, uh, which then I think all eyes then turn to Kachuk if that's the case. And you have to figure out how to wait a, to lock up that star, but uh, there would be a long line of teams that would want a player like Kachuk. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But it, you know, here's the thing. Does he, does he take the qualifying offer? Does he not sign? And maybe he goes to St. Louis where his dad's from and where everybody's from or so. Yeah. This, it, this is a pivotal off season. You know, John, it could be a situation where Flames could have a one year bounce. They missed the playoffs last year. Dow came in full season. Everybody clicked. Johnny got a hundred points. The two centers were great. They could, if they lose, Goudreau, and then Matthew is going to take a qualifying offer, not going to sign. You know, they could not. Well, I don't think they won't be a playoff team, but it, it could be a bounce that they wouldn't be a division winner without Johnny Goudreau, obviously. Yeah, but look, the situation. I, I think if you're a Calgary Flames player like Johnny Goudreau uh, or a fan, there are a lot of questions moving forward, not just with the those two players. Daryl's only signed for one more year, so. What's the future of the Calgary Flames if I'm signing up for five, six, eight years? You know, what's the direction and where do things go? Uh, they obviously have a, a strong coach in waiting and Mitch Love just uh, recently, uh, the AHL coach of the year, doing a fabulous job. I mean, that's just one name among a long list of, of people. So I think there are a lot of questions in Calgary, uh, you know, as there are with any team that gets eliminated from the playoffs. There are a lot of questions in those particular markets about coaching staff and players and contracts and everything. So that's what makes uh, that's what makes it fun. Over on the other side of the ladder, you have the uh, the Colorado Avalanche DB, who w- were looking like they were poised to go on a on, on a steamroll over everybody, and then their goaltender goes out after game one, and I think everybody in the world of hockey kind of collectively held their breath and wondered, okay, what happens next? Colorado comes out, they're up two nothing. I think the narrative now changes to, yep, the Colorado Av the Avs are ready, DB. Yeah, well, here to here's the. The one play in game two that really stood out for me, John, was when Connor got the puck, I think it was in the first period, in his own zone, he started to rush up. As he came down the right wing, his off wing, he drops his shoulder, and then Kale McCarr just reaches out with a stick and knocks the puck off his stick. There's one player in the league that could do that at Connor McDavid, and it's Kale McCarr. So this is a very different team. Yes, they had, look, it was a rocking chair game for Francis, right? It, it really was. He, he wasn't really tested, I think. And we're t- taping this on Saturday. I think he'll get tested more tonight. Because this is game seven. And then the tickets might say game three, John. This is game seven for Edmonton. Because there's no way on this earth they lose tonight. They're going to win four straight against Colorado. But Colorado, look, Nats Kadri, that one two-minute and four-second stretch where they got three goals. Nas got three assists. This is a championship team, without question. I think even with Francis in that. Now you have um, you have been so kind to some of the goofballs on Twitter and referred to them as the Twitter donkeys in the past. Um, I'm going to double down on one of my comments from the other day. 
I was on with Boomer on Sirius XM NHL radio uh, just the other day. And I made the comment, the Oilers are not a very good team. And I knew that that was going to rile up some people in Edmonton because they're very sensitive. Uh, the reality is this, Dennis, and I'm going to double down on it. They I have news for everybody. If you haven't been paying attention, they are not a very good hockey team. They have a couple of world-class players, but that's not what we're talking about. I'm not dissing Connor McDavid. I'm not even talking about Leon Dreisaitl. I'm talking about as a club, as a collective group of 23 people, they're not very good. They're not good defensively. And you and I were texting the other night, and you loved this word. I absolutely do not trust Mike Smith in any must-win game. Therefore, they're not a good hockey club to me. Well, here's the thing. Um, Nurse is playing hurt. But, but, but I, will, I will qualify that in a second. Leon's not 100%. And look, Kane's scoring at a 50-goal pace. Zach Hyman's been really good. Their defense is not a championship team. And even with the injury to Nurse, he made the first two plays he made on those first two goals. He was ter- like, that wasn't an injury. That was terrible, a terrible pass, terrible vision. So to me, no, look, they responded. There's more structure to the game with Jay Woodcroft, without question, than Tippett. But are they a championship team? Connor and Leon would have to score two points a game. Like the first 13 games, they got the 26 points or whatever. They'd have to score at that clip every single game for them to win. They're not a better team than, than Colorado. They hit lightning in a bottle. Look, you know, the, Connor McDavid had to pay 27 minutes to beat the Kings in game seven. They walked over Calgary. Nobody expected that. But are they a championship team? No, because the depth that you mentioned isn't there. And the blue line, like Evan Bouchard can't play a 2-1-1. Like he doesn't know how to do it. He's, he's great offensively. But but there are holes in this team. And it's masked by the greatness of the guys at the top of the lineup. That was a long-winded reply to my statement. So do you agree or disagree? The Edmonton Oilers, they are not a good hockey club. Um, I wish people could see the look on your face a, right now, Dennis. I think... <laughs> Well, I don't, I don't know like how you qualify. Like, they didn't win the division, but they had 105 points. Um, they've won two rounds. They're a good hockey team. Are, they're not. See, I'll, I'll qualify. Says they're a good hockey team. They're not a Stanley Cup winner, even though I picked them to win this round. But that they're, they're not. They're, they're, you see the the flaws in this lineup, and you see the goaltending. And if Mike Smith doesn't play well, you can't go to Koskinen. So, I think there's holes in the team, John. I don't. I, I think they're a good team that needs to get better with respect to their depth because the depth right. just so, isn't there. It's not championship quality. So, so we can, we can split hairs on that. Uh, hey, for the few Euler fans that are listening uh, because they're waiting to jump on any other comments that I've made, you might want to go back and look at my preseason predictions. I actually predicted the Oilers to win the Pacific division. So there you go. Yeah. I expected more from Edmonton this year um, coming into the season than what I saw. And yeah, racking up points, you know, during the regular season, that's great. Uh, you know, Daryl Sutter has a few quotes about 100-plus point teams as well, so we could refer back to some of those. I, I just don't think that this is a club that I have a lot of confidence in, certainly not a lot of confidence in going up against uh, the Colorado Avalanche, who they were going to have to play at some point in, in the Western Conference uh, you know, final. So, all right, out East DB, just to uh, touch base on that real quickly, I know that, you know, for people that are hockey fans, not just LA Kings fans, but that continue to watch hockey, which it is being played now every night as we march our way through the playoffs. You have Tampa Bay. Uh, I don't know, DB. They just don't lose back-to-back games. As I tweeted out the other day, and it, it, there was a lot of talk about this heading into game two, they uh, had not lost back-to-back games going all the way back to when they were swept by the Columbus Blue Jackets. And if you think about the damage that they have done to the National Hockey League since they were swept by the Blue Jackets, uh, 
man, I, I, you know, look, they were they didn't look like they were going to lose two games in a row, but yet now they have, and they're in that hole 0-2. What do you make of that Tampa Rangers series? This is your moment to shine, DB. I know you've been waiting to gloat. I know you're the only one out of whatever, 15 people on TFP. We all took Tampa Bay in this series, and here you are on your own island, and you're up 2-0. So have at it, my friend. The stage is yours. Yeah. Okay. Well, John, look, they were 18-0 and after a loss in the playoffs. That had to end at some point. But, John, you know, I know people talk about, you know, how great Tampa is. Tampa hasn't beaten the Rangers this year. They're 0-5 against them. Uh, Shosturkin's beat Vasilevsky four times. The situation is, is that the, it's a supremely confident team, a team that really shouldn't be there. It's probably there like one year early, but the kid line is playing really, really good. Shosturkin can go safe to safe with Vasilevsky. And in game two, John, Tampa just looked, they looked older and slower. They couldn't keep up with the, with the, uh, with the Rangers speed. I mean, they, they, and they jumped back in the game when Spall got the goal and make it three, two, but at some point, you know, John, they played a lot of hockey, right? Over three years, mm-hmm. 56 sure. games, 70 games, 82 games. Like it, it adds up and it's not a young team. And John, it's probably a different series of Braden points playing. Sure. Oh, know? absolutely. So that, that's the other sure. thing. He, he's, he, he sent us their number one line. So to me, it, it's not a shock. I just, here's when I, here's when I picked the Rangers, the way they played game seven in Raleigh, John. That's what a yeah. championship team. They went yeah. in there. They closed the show. They won 6-2. Yeah. The big players played. The goalie made saves. That convinced me. Saying, I, I just I, I just think if Tampa does this, if they now, John, if they come from two down and they rally and they win this and win the cup, they're an all-time team. I, I know yeah. other teams have won more in a row, but to do three in a row in this era with the salary cap and all the stuff going on, this is an all-time team if they can, if they can rally. And I wouldn't sell them short. Look, they beat the Florida Panthers four straight. So why couldn't they beat the New York Rangers four straight? But it's going to be a, it's going to be a big task winning four out of five against the Rangers the way they're playing right now with that goalie. Well, the thing is, DB, after game one, uh, if I'm a Tampa Bay Lightning fan, I'm not worried, right? I'm like, oh, this makes perfect sense. You know, right. Tampa, they were off. They had a little bit of rust. The Rangers are coming in. They're rolling, right? Yep. Oh, you go game one. Sure. You know, that's a, yep. that's a trap game. You would call it during the regular season. Rangers win. You expect the Lightning to come back big in game two and find a way. The championship yep. club that they are, you expect them to pull out a win. Now, when they Amen. didn't do it, I think that's when, you know, I don't want to say panic, but back to your point earlier about the tickets might say game three. That's when the realization set in of, oh, crap, this is now game seven. You know, it, it's it's a very similar uh, situation, actually, to, to what's happening in the other series. A little bit different. You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't put Edmonton in the same caliber as uh, as Tampa, but same situation where now you're, you're facing a whole new reality that you weren't expecting in, in game three. Um, just to go back and touch on that series a little bit, where do you think things went wrong for Carolina in that series? Because the the favorite, I think, for most people uh, in that series coming into it was that Carolina was going to advance past the Rangers. Uh, I mean, it was fine. Close to a coin flip series, if you will. I mean, it wasn't like uh, uh, everybody was taking them versus, you know, the Columbus Blue Jackets or anything. But I think most people thought that Carolina had enough to get past the Rangers. Where did things go wrong in Carolina? Starting with the first round, they were 0-6 on the road. They never won a road game. It's and so weird, right? Thing. And number two, John, they're re- yeah, they're a really good team. They're well coached. They love Brenda Moore. They don't give up a lot. But John, they don't have elite goal scoring talent. They don't have a guy in a big spot like Shestikov did not produce. They don't. And Aho's a really good player, but they don't have big time elite goal scorers. Like they, they don't have Chris Kreider. 
they don't have Mika Zibanejad. And that was the difference in game seven. So they really, they could have won. They don't give up a lot, but I think just, they don't have that elite goal scoring talent that I think you need to win all this four rounds. Is the last yeah. And especially if you're going to face a really high end goaltender, that's what you need. You need to be able to, to, to put that high end goaltender away or, or to counter that type of a player. Right. Agreed. So yes, where do absolutely. we go? For, where do we go from here? You're in Edmonton. You're there. Where, where, where do things head? Uh, how do you see this, the series in the West playing out, you know, uh, Five games remaining if it goes that far, but two games in Colorado's favor. Where do things go from here? I think Colorado's going to split here in Edmonton. Uh, I think that I think just look, John, they've been waiting 15 years for a conference final game in Edmonton. So I think just the, the wave of the crowd. Now, granted, if they don't score right away, there might be some issues. But I, I think Colorado gets a sweep. They go home and they win game five. They win in five games. Okay. So if, if, uh, if Edmonton finds a way to win both of these games at home, it's all your fault then. That's basically what you're saying. You're going to take credit totally. for the Oilers. 100% victories. my fault. <laughs> I love totally. it. Totally, yes. And, and, you're, and you're sticking with or you're willing to double down on your, your Rangers pick uh, out in the East? Yeah, well, I picked the Rangers and the Oilers in six in both series because I, I figured, well, because uh, I also do the Series XM pool and I'm not winning on that. So, but yeah, I love, yeah, I love the Rangers. I think the Rangers are going to win. I absolutely think they're a confident team and the goaltender has been fantastic. I just think they find a way. And I think the speed and the youth of this team's catching up with, uh, catching up with Tampa Bay. Okay. Wait a minute. You picked the Oilers in six. How did I miss that when looking through everything? It just yeah. didn't, it didn't, it didn't jump off the page at me. Oilers in six. Oh my God. Because there are a lot of people, but a lot of people on TFP. Pit the Oilers. It wasn't like the, the Rangers in, in Tampa. They were like probably four or five people that picked the Oilers. You weren't oh, one of them, but you know. I absolutely was not one of them. And and I still uh <laughs> even if they were up two nothing, I would still be telling you that Colorado is coming back in the series. But um so far the abs are making me look good because instead of being down 0-2, they're up 2-0. So how about this, DB? We have a lot of LA Kings uh talk to get to. We have a lot of talk uh, related to the organization as a whole, the building they play in, their AHL affiliate. I mean, just a lot of L.A. Kings hockey. Why don't we take uh, a quick break here? We'll come back on the other side of it, and we'll start diving into uh, the second and third period, which will be jam-packed with only L.A. Kings-related information. Here we go. The savior of the broken, the beaten and the damned. He said, will you defeat them, you demons? Welcome back, Kings of the Podcast, second period. And DB, I'm not even going to soft play this. I'm going to serve it up in in, in big uh, big lights and shine a spotlight on this. I lied. Uh, I misspoke at the end of the last period. It is not all going to be LA Kings talk uh, related here for the, the, the final remainder of the show because during the break, I was reminded, uh, I reminded myself actually, that there was one other tidbit that I wanted to pass along and share that is non-LA Kings related. Now, DB, you might have to circle back to last year. Um, I took some heat at the time when I uh, when I went on Sirius XM and talked about the fact that I believed, based upon my sources and information, that there were discussions that the Anaheim Ducks had offered John Gibson in a package to get Jack Eichel out of Buffalo. I'll, of course, ultimately, that did not happen. But from everything I'm hearing over the last couple of weeks from sources, 
it sounds like John Gibson is not very long for the Anaheim Ducks. Look for him to be on the move this summer. Look for him to be traded out of Southern California, DB. Yeah, it still could be Buffalo, John, because they don't have a – I mean, unless you like the Finnish kid, they have two unrestricted free agents, so they have a hole there in the net. But I agree with you. I, I think that's the logical player to move at this point in time. So, And so I agree. I, I think once we start next season, I don't think he's an Anaheim Duck, to be honest with you. Yeah, which if you're a Ducks fan, as much as you might like John Gibson, I don't think there's really much to be concerned about because they have two very capable goaltenders in the pipeline, not just yeah. one, but two in Stolarz uh, and, and, and uh, Doskal that can that can handle that situation. Awesome. So, uh, yeah, sorry. Uh, you, 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 you're trading a player that you really don't need for the next three years, two years minimum, more likely three years as you go through this rebuild. But here's the really interesting thing, Dennis. From all indications, it sounds like Anaheim plans on being active. That's plan A. Now, they might end up deferring to a plan B, but they plan on pursuing things such as bringing Josh Manson back to uh, to Southern California. And by adding either via trade or free agency, adding some um, additional talent to that roster, they do not want to do the slow burn on the rebuild. So very curious to see what Pat Verbeek is going to do. Uh, but there are some changes that are coming. And uh, PV, GMPV, has not been afraid DB, he gave the axe to Joel Bouchard down there in San Diego rather quickly. Things went yeah. off the rails after uh, a, a really positive situation down there in San Diego. Things apparently went off the rails down there very quickly. Uh, a lot of ceremony bringing it in Bouchard to uh, to coach the goals this season. It did not work out well. Obviously, it, it wasn't, you know, Verbeek's hire. So there's a little bit of that going on as well. But uh, from, from what we're hearing, expect a new head coach to be announced. It's somebody that Verbeek already had kind of in mind when he took the role. So uh, that'll be something interesting to watch because like LA, they have a deep prospect pool, Dennis. Yeah. He's got his fingerprints all over this franchise already, John. So, and look, it's not unlike, look where he came from, right? He learned at the, at the feet of uh, Stevie Eiserman. So to me, he's going to be aggressive. Um, the, yeah, he has assets. John Gibson, we mentioned is one. And I agree that. And plus not for nothing, Ryan Getzlaff is gone. So you're going to have to have, you're going to have to bolster the center position at some point as well. So maybe through free agency, maybe not a one seat, but maybe some depth center as well. So yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be a very interesting um, summer in Anaheim. All right. So Comtois leaves, John Gibson leaves, Ryan Getzloff leaves, uh, new coach, a lot going on down there in Anaheim. All right, let's get into, uh, let's get into the LA Kings here, Dennis. There, there are many different places where we could start. Um, I'd like to start here. Uh, I reported just a couple of days ago from all indications uh, from what I'm hearing <clears throat> through various sources, the the LA Kings are preparing to move Marco Sturm out uh, from behind the bench in Los Angeles. Now, at the time of the uh, postseason press conference, Dennis, I had I had tweeted out that all of the LA Kings um, coaches are under contract for next season. So nobody was expiring. Right. You do have a situation going on down in Ontario where John Robleski, who was brought in to replace, of course, Mike Stuthers, uh, didn't last very long, played, you know, coached half a season last year in the shortened season, I should say, and then half a season this year, went on personal leave, ultimately resigned. Chris Height, Craig Johnson, they came in. Um, they, they filled the gap there. And this is an important hire, right? So just because you're an LA Kings fan, you might not think, oh, I don't really care about what happens in the minor leagues. This is an important hire. This is an important situation because of the high volume of Kings prospects that are coming in and right. the players down there, Dennis, you need them playing the same system so that they can come in. Like you saw, yeah. you saw the benefits of that this year, guys like Jordan Spence, guys like Kapari, all these younger players that came in and really filled in seamlessly 
they were rookies, but you didn't notice them like you normally do a rookie because they have that great synergy between Ontario and uh, and L.A. But anyway, back to the point. There could be a scenario or there appears to be a scenario where it's going to kind of be a mutually beneficial situation is what I'm calling it, DB. Marco Sturm can get head coach on his resume. He can become the coach, carry the Todd McClellan structure and message down to Ontario. He can become the head coach of the uh, of the Ontario Reign. And then that creates an opening behind the bench in Los Angeles for which the Kings uh, will go out and find a, we'll call him a power play specialist, if you will. So any reaction to that report that I put out a couple of days ago? It's accurate. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What I meant was, what do you, what do you think of the idea? Does it make sense to you? Uh, where do you think things go next? Well, I'm sure there's a, yeah, there's a faction of fans that have just thrown up their hands in, in, in rejoicing over the fact that Marco Stone wouldn't be running the power play anymore. It also helps when you get better players. But um, I, I think, so, and John, one word, continuity. I think that's what you're getting at with respect to bringing players through the system. And how many times did Todd talk about that this year, where mm -hmm. players were equipped and ready to play coming out, and there was it was seamless because there's continuity. So that is a – and you're right, look – I'm not an AHL guy. I'm not an Ontario Reign guy, but I understand the concept of continuity. You need that alignment between the AHL and the NHL, um, and it worked. It, it th that was proven last season when you had kids that like we never thought would hit the radar came up, it played well because of the continuity in the organization. Yeah, I think unfortunately the odd man out in all of this might be Chris Height, and you really feel bad for him because here's a guy who he was the assistant coach under Mike Stuthers. He left, I believe he went to Buffalo for a while, tried his hand there, eventually came back, was an assistant coach in the American League. You know, what does every coach want? Just like a player wants to be promoted, a coach wants to be promoted. He wants to be a head coach. He wants to eventually make it back to the NHL. He was the interim head coach, although I don't believe they ever officially gave him that title uh, this year, but he was the de facto interim head coach. And, uh, you know, I'm sure he wants the job, uh, but if, if things sort of move around on the chess piece, uh, move the, the chess pieces move around on the board the way I just mentioned, then what ends up happening, of course, is that he 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 doesn't have that opportunity to become the head coach after a very successful season. I mean, I think you do have to hand it to uh, Chris Height and Craig Johnson for the admirable job they did in the absence of John Robleski. Uh, this is this is an Ontario Reign team, Dennis. Ironically enough, we're talking about the power play. This is a team that had not only the AHL's best power play uh, this season, it was an all-time best power play percentage. In the history of the American Hockey League, Dennis, this is now, or was, the number one all-time power play. How ironic that the Ontario Reign had the league's all-time best power play, and the LA Kings, while it wasn't the NHL's all-time worst power play, I think they finished 26 or 27th in the league, Dennis, like 16%. It was a dreadful power play at the NHL level. All right, DB. Enough about that, though. Let's uh, let's let's move along here. We'll hit a couple of other quick topics uh, here in the second period. We'll get into a deep dive on the roster in the third period. So some other topics uh, earlier this week, DB. I also tweeted out that it was looking like October fourteenth was going to be the home opener for the LA Kings. And uh, in gathering some additional information, it now looks like that's most likely going to be October thirteenth. From what I'm hearing, it's moved one day. It, it's we're getting down to crunch time. The schedule needs to be finalized, DB. I believe the preseason dates, although they have not been released. I believe those are pretty much set in stone. Um, there is there are still some maneuvering a little bit. And from what I understand, it looks like the Kings will most likely open up against a Pacific Division team, which is pretty exciting. Uh, however, there are some Eastern teams that are 
uh, coming out here in the first part of the year and uh, the first kind of couple of weeks, I guess. So there could still be some some shifting there and you could see them. You know, they've opened up against teams like Boston before and things like that. But I don't know, DB, right out of the gate, opening up against the Pacific Division team. Yeah, Philadelphia, you're right, that 50th anniversary year. But uh, what about opening up against the Pacific Division team? I mean, you're talking a four point night right out of the hop game one. Don't you want a revenge game to open up against the Edmonton Oilers and opening <laughs> night? I think that's what you want at home. Uh, well, that would be fantastic. That, of course, would be fantastic. Yes, Kings, Oilers. You know, D.B., we didn't touch on this when we were talking about the Oilers earlier. I asked you this question via text the other night. We were talking about it. I don't believe that I have seen a dirtier team. I'm not talking about an individual. They're, they're, they're always these little, these few little rats that are all across the league, right? But they're one-offs. I'm talking about as a collective team. The stuff that we've seen from them this postseason has been ridiculous from the headbutting to many other things. Can you think of like a dirty team over the last 10 years? No, over the last 10 years. I, I don't necessarily agree. I, look, the, the oh, you don't agree with that Cassian pull, pulling pirates. No, I don't think they're that dirty. I don't think they're slew footing people or anything like that or. The, the, look, Cassian pulling the helmet off of Byron on the bench is just a clown act. He got fined for it to me. Um, I think it's frustration, but I don't think there any – look, it, 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 if you're going to talk about a dirty – what about Jacob Truba and all his hits that are accidental or are just – and guys want him getting knocked out. He's the guy that's been knocking out people left and right. So I don't see it the same way you do, but it's good that once in a while we don't agree. Well, it's, it, it is very rare, Dennis, that's for sure. Um, there are some other things happening around Staples Center besides the schedule, DB. Uh, excuse me, Crypto.com Arena. Let me get that right. You'll have to clean that up in uh, yes. in post in post-production. But uh, – <laughs> You know, I, I don't remember exactly when it was. It seems like ever since the pandemic, time just all runs together. So this announcement may have been made a, a month ago or it very well may have been made two years ago. But the building is going to be going under some um, serious renovations. And from what I understand, it's going to be a three year renovation cycle. Uh, and it sounds like kind of little murmurs that I'm hearing uh, birds outside the window on the tree branch. It sounds like here at the end of June, um, there is going to be a teaser video that's going to be uh, released by the by the team, and that'll sort of preview things. And then in, um, I think, maybe like September, right before the season starts, the, the, the building itself will probably hold a big press conference and release a, a full uh, a video of what they call kind of the campus there. And uh, you'll have pictures and renderings and, and, and more detail. But uh, pretty interesting, pretty excited to see that teaser video here in a couple of weeks, Dennis, because... The building is still a beautiful building. And I mean, you know, you travel around the National Hockey League. It's still a pretty nice building, but even as nice as it is, pretty cool to think about some of the renovations that might take place. Yeah, plus, you know, I'm here at Rogers Place, which is a beautiful arena. I've been to Climate Pledge in Seattle. Here's the thing, John. First and foremost, new friggin' scoreboard. It's time. Like a new school board. I see these school boards around the league. They need a new school board. So I then see whatever, whatever structural change they made. They need a new school board here because when I, like we sit in our seats and the, the screens, it's it's not it's not 2022. So to me, that's what I think. But yeah, I'll be excited to see what changes they have because you're right. I think the structure itself still holds well, um, but uh, they, they need updating for sure. And we saw coming out of the pandemic some some different restaurant options as well. So some some eateries there inside the building, perhaps that gets changed up a little bit and they've been slowly over the last 20 plus years they've kind of expanded the inside footprint of the lobby and done some different things so curious to see what happens there as well as um, upstairs with some of their especially their outdoor uh, lobby areas you know another thing that is um, 
on everybody's mind at this time of the year, Dennis, is the schedule. When is the schedule going to come out? We were talking about opening night uh, just a moment ago. Uh, from what I understand, the schedule this year is going to be released in at the end of July, and it has, which is pretty late because uh, historically the schedule yeah. was released right around the time of the All Star break, and so I think it's the uh, excuse me of the Major League Baseball All Star break. And it was pointed out to me once that the slowest sports day of the entire year for content is the is the Wednesday because the Major League Baseball All Star Game is on Tuesday. And so the, the schedule for the NHL used to come out on Wednesday, the day after, because they were competing with the least amount of yep. other sports content that changed. And then uh, over the last couple of years, the league had done it sort of during the Stanley Cup playoffs, during the final or something like that. But um, because of from what I understand, because of ESPN and TNT and all that TV stuff now and how things sync up with the NBA uh, and their scheduling, from what I understand, the NHL schedule for next season is set to be released at the end of July this time around. So we're going to be able to get through uh, all of the playoffs. The Stanley Cup will be awarded here at the end of June. Then you have the draft coming up on July 7th and 8th. That's going to be in Montreal, Montreal. And then you're going to have probably some prospect camps. And then you're going to have the uh, the World Juniors coming in mid-August. But sandwiched in between there, you'll get the schedule for the NHL's 22-23 season. I, you know, you and I have never really talked about this, DB. When the schedule comes out, do you... Are you the kind of person that like circles certain games on your calendar and you're like, hey, that's a game I really want to go to. You know, I want to make sure I don't have other commitments on that evening. Is it is it because of a big rivalry or is it because of uh, maybe another player that, you you know, a certain player that you like to watch or no, you just don't really care. You want to go to as many games as possible. No, you know what it is? John? It's not the home schedule. It's the road schedule, like the long road trips. Like, do I want to go on the road like this this year? I, I did Calgary, Edmonton and Winnipeg. So to me, it's it's. And because they play in the West, you know, they have those seven game road trips and things. So that to me is the more thing. The matchups are the matchups because it's a balanced schedule. So it's uh, opening night. And I think um, maybe the final game of the season, because fortunately for this season, it, it didn't come down to that. But I more look at the road schedule than the home schedule, believe it or not. Interesting. Yeah, I, I sort of like to look at it and say, okay, when are the big rivalry games? When are they going to play Anaheim? Well, whoever their rival of the moment could be. It could be Vancouver, San Jose. Obviously, now it's Edmonton. You know, when are those games scheduled? But I, I do look for some of the bigger name players. You know, when are the Penguins coming to town? When's Crosby going to be here? They only come to town mm -hmm, sure. once a year, right? When's Ovi going to be in town? I, I kind of look at that game. And I always, I guess, to a certain extent, default to the Rangers is one of those teams, regardless of whoever their uh, sort of superstar is at that particular moment. Um, so a lot going on, uh, not only related to the LA Kings, Dennis, but also related to the Ontario Reign. I want to mention one one player thing that's kind of interesting to me, and this is kind of a, a, a nerd thing uh, for some people, but before we get into the LA Kings roster, here's an interesting thing. You know, we talk about contracts and, and um, having rights to players and things like that. So just a quick teaser for people that don't keep up with this type of stuff. If you draft a player or when you draft a player, Depending where that player uh, is drafted from, the country or the league, uh, that dictates how long you will have that player's rights. So, for example, if you draft a player out of Canadian junior hockey, the WHL, the OHL, et cetera, you have the rights to that player for two years following the draft. And so by June 1st, you have to sign that player to an entry-level contract or that player then becomes an unrestricted free agent or they can re-enter the draft. And so recently you saw, or if, if some people I should say might've seen the list that came out of all the players that were drafted, but that didn't sign with their teams by June 1st from two years ago. And now they've uh, become uh, eligible to go back into the draft. There, there are little sub 
rules underneath that. Because if you're a college player, that two-year rule doesn't apply. If you're a college player, you own that player's rights through the balance of them completing their college career. So for example, Brock Faber, he's now played two full seasons in Minnesota, but the Kings still retain his rights because he's still in college. He's still going to Minnesota. When he decides to turn pro, that's when the Kings have to sign him or he ends up becoming a free agent. So if you are drafted though, that two-year rule, I just want to focus on that. If you're drafted out of a European league, you retain that player's rights for four years. And that's why take Casper uh, Simon Tyvel, for example, who's an LA Kings prospect. He can stay over in Europe for theoretically four years before the Kings would lose his rights. Now the Kings have recently signed a few of their European players. And so the June 1st deadline didn't end up being an issue for them. Samuel Hellenius is going to end up coming over. He's going to play in North America next year. Uh, Kim Noisenen is, has already come over and he's going to play in North America. So those, some of those players have migrated. Why am I getting to all of this? Because there's one player that could potentially sort of be falling through the cracks. And I, I find it fascinating and interesting because I don't recall a player ever being in this exact same situation as an LA Kings prospect. I'm sure it's happened to a few other players, but it's very, very rare. Mm -hmm. So here's the case. Goaltender Lucas Perique, he was drafted out of Europe. So the Kings, they retained his rights for four years, okay? Which means they have one more year to, uh, to, to get him, by the way, uh, until June 1st of next year, they retain his rights. Something interesting happened though. After playing two years, one year in the WHL, one year actually in the in the uh, the USHL, because they couldn't, um, they thought that he would get more playing time than than in in junior hockey. So that's where he was. This past year, he signed a pro contract, and so by signing a pro contract, but he didn't sign an entry level deal. This was a very sneaky, smooth, pretty tricky, cool thing that happened. Because the Kings were out of contracts, basically. They're up against the contract limit of the 50 professional contracts. Right. So they didn't really have a contract to offer him. And he didn't want to go back to the USHL and, you know, that sort of thing. You don't want him going back to Europe. So what do you do? Well, the Kings, they signed him to a minor league deal, which is interesting. Because other players have been signed to minor league deals as well. And then later earned um, later earned an NHL entry-level contract. Kevin Gravel comes to mind. He played in Ontario for one year and then signed a, an entry-level contract. Uh, his one year was on a minor league deal. So Perique signed a one-year minor league deal, Dennis. That deal is up. So what happens this summer with Perique? Because what if the King, obviously you would hope the Kings sign him and they want to have him stick around for another year and, and, and progress, right? But what if that's not what both sides want? And what if, so then what happens is my question. And I've been digging around this week and trying to come up with the answer. Um, I mean, I could see one scenario. You say, look, you can go out and you can sign with another minor league team and um, we will we will then transfer you to that team, right? We will assign you to that team and that's fine. But what if they don't want to do that? So I just think it's a very interesting thing to keep an eye on. Lucas Perique, we talk about, age, or we will be talking about the Adrian Kempe contract on the other side of the break, Dennis. Um, but that's a very interesting thing from a prospect perspective that uh, he, he, may, he may be kind of caught in, in, the, in the cracks of the sidewalk, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. That's that is very interesting, and I've never really heard a scenario about that. So it's good, uh, good find by you. Well, yeah, because most of the time players just sign entry level contracts and they move on, right? All we know is like, hey, the guy plays junior or the guy plays college hockey. At some point, he signs a contract and then he begins his pro career. And this guy is sort of uh, caught in the middle there. But hey, let's talk about the big club. Let's talk about the LA Kings. Let's talk about their roster. What happens to Carl Grundstrom? What happens to Edler? What happens to Double uh, A, your favorite DB? If you can uh, get your jersey ironed uh, during the break, we'll be back on the other side of it and we will talk more about the LA Kings 
NHL roster and what next season might look like. the third period of kings of the podcast with db and the mayor third period dennis bernstein kings of the podcast we are back we are going to take a deep dive into the current and really the upcoming la kings roster are you ready to go i'm ready jay let's do it all right look um i'm going to begin with what i'm going to tell you is a hot take i already have a hot take on the x factor to the la kings roster for next season and we don't even know Jimmy clapping i'm clapping john let's go come on we we don't even know which 23 players are going to make up the roster but right now on june 4th i'm going to tell you the x factor to the la Kings season next year you ready ready the x factor to next year is cal peterson Got and it. here and, and yep. here's my logic. I get it. I don't I don't think that in a final year of his contract, right, with another year uh of playing time under his belt, everybody loves Jonathan Quick, right? And who knows, Quick he might be the starting goaltender next year as well. But that's my whole point. I don't think you can rely on another season of Jonathan Quick carrying the mail for the LA Kings. At some point, the turnover has to begin. And that's why I think Cal Peterson. There were moments this year where he was great. There were certainly other moments where he was not, but I think he's the X X factor. I think as much as you do to fix the offense, which we'll talk about, as much as you do to reconfigure the defense, which we'll talk about, the one constant in all of this that we know, Dennis, is that going into next year, it's going to be 32 and 40 that are going to be your two goaltenders for the LA Kings. To me, the X factor is what happens with Cal Peterson. How effective can he be between the pipes? What do you think about that? So you mean what happens, meaning his play, not trading him? Oh, I don't think they're trading him. No, absolutely. Yeah. You can't I mean, trade. You can't. You, you, trade you, him, right? That's my whole point. Like, yeah, you're yeah. not going to trade him. No, I, yeah. I'm not entertaining that idea. I, I'm talking about his playing time, the number of games that he gets next year, the goals yeah. against average that he puts up, the type of goaltender that he shows up for as, as an, on a nightly basis. That's the X factor to next season because they can add offense, they can shore up the defense, but you need consistent. That's a big, important word. You need consistent, strong performances from Cal Peterson to really take the step from where they were this year, a first-round playoff team, to being something more next year. But here's the problem. We said the same thing this time last year. Cal Peterson was supposed to emerge, and he didn't emerge. And he wound up being on the bench in the playoffs. So, yeah, and I hope it it changes and and, and it turns around for him. But this is now going on two years, John. And that's the challenge with this team is that you're right. One of what if John Quick goes reverts to an 898 save percentage guy and Cal doesn't emerge? They're in trouble. So not in trouble, but they, they'll be challenged because. Oh, I think they, they're in trouble. I think they're in trouble. <laughs> if 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 Quick reverts to 898 and Cal Peterson does not step forward, they're in trouble because they're going to be like all those teams we were talking about in the first period that have a lot of other elements but don't have goaltending. And one thing we know is when the calendar flips to game 83, you yeah. damn well better have your goaltending. Gotta in shape it. and ready to go. Yeah, and if you don't, it. you're not going very far. Yeah. No, but I agree with you with Cal. I think he he's he is a um a pivotal player for this team next season. Okay. So with that being said about the goaltending, let's move on. Um 
defensively speaking, I think the Kings are facing a very interesting question that many people in the Kings fan base, the Kings universe online, social media, they don't want to address. What do you do with Sean Dersey? Because the logical thing to do, Dennis, is to trade Sean Dersey. That is the most logical thing to do when you think about asset management. When you look at how deep they are, and we've talked about this on this mm -hmm. program, Dennis, how deep they are down the right side. You have Brock Faber coming. You have Brant Clark coming. You already have Jordan Spence. You already have Helga Granz. You already have Matt Roy, Drew Doughty taking up these spots. There's just not a lot of room on the right-hand side. And the question becomes, will Sean Dersey, who was always thought to be a defensive liability, and we cannot say this enough, Dennis. He, Jersey deserves all the praise in the world for what he accomplished this year. He was far better, leaps and bounds better than anybody outside of maybe his agent and his family would have expected him <laughs> to be this year, okay? All the praise in the world to Sean Dersey, which circles back to my point. His trade value will probably never be higher than it is this summer. A young, right-shot, offensively-minded defenseman who appears to be on the rise is now the time to trade Sean Dersey as you're trying to reconfigure the roster. But uh, I'll debate you because I'm not sure how much trade value he has because he only did it over, what, <laughs> 60 games? If you want to trade a proven defenseman, <clears throat> given the way the play is right now, you trade Matt Roy. That would be the guy you trade because he's not an offensive defenseman. And if Brock Faber's the real deal, like he's that type of he, – he's not the offensively gifted defenseman. Plus, Sean Walker, you can't – you don't know what you're going to get from Sean Walker coming off an ACL. So – I get it, and I get your point, and it could be very well. I'm not like my my question to you would be: What would you actually get for Sean Dursey? You're not getting a top six player. Like well, you're getting the, a middle. Yeah, go ahead, John. Where, where I'm going with this is that if you try to make that trade for Chikrin, it, it really comes down to this, DB. It comes mm -hmm. down to: Are you there? Are two holes. There really are three. There's there are three holes the LA Kings need to fix, and you you most likely need three players to fix these three problems. You could combine two of them potentially, but what you really need is you need a left shot defenseman yep. that is a top four defenseman, meaning he can play on the first or second pair, probably the second pair because, you know, Drew's going to lobby to play with Mikey. So probably a second pair uh, defenseman on the left side. So that's one. And these are in no particular order. These are just the three boxes. You need that. Mm -hmm. You need toughness and you need an LW1. That is a very specific ask that you need. And we can get into that when we talk more about the forward. So you need those three things. Could you get the toughness from the left shot defenseman? Yeah, potentially. If, for example, Josh Manson is not for LA because he's right shot. Right. But if there was a left shot version of Manson, you could theoretically check two of the three boxes, right? Um, right. But I'm saying you need three boxes. So to get Chikrin or somebody else in that position, to get your left shot defenseman and your forward, do you want to do one via free agency and one via trade? Or are you going to try to do two? via trade because one of the attractive things about trade Dennis is you get cost certainty rather than overpaying which you normally yeah. do in free agency right of course. so right. The, if if you go the trade route on one and free agency on the other that's kind of the best of all worlds because you're not having to completely deplete your prospect pool or asset pool in order to fill those two boxes you're only using assets to get one so if you go back to the Chikrin trade, and at one point, you know, they're looking at like Turcotte and Velarde and two first round picks or something in that neighborhood, right? And you're like, okay, well, can you flip one of those guys out? Well, if you put Faber in that deal, they like the deal. Faber and Velarde and two firsts, that could do it. Mm -hmm. My point is, could you instead move a guy like Dersey, keep Faber in the pool, right? What, what pieces yeah. can you move to hold on to the pieces that you really want? 
if you really want to keep Turcotte long-term, and by the way, some of the bloom might have come off the trade interest in Turcotte given the concussions this season. That's sure. concerning, right? So maybe you, maybe you have to reconfigure the trade proposal. Right. So you go, okay, look, as the Kings organization, we're willing to move Velarde. Now, everybody knows I'm not willing to move Velarde. I, yeah. I, I, I hope they don't move Velarde, but I think they're going to. So you, you go Velarde, what other shiny toy can we put in there? It could be Sean Dursey. So that's the answer to your question, because Matt Roy doesn't get it done. But Sean Dursey might get it done in a deal to get you chicken. So that's the reason I'm saying I think that there's a likelihood. I'm not putting a high percentage on it, but I think Dursey's in play more than some people might be willing to admit. That's a fair point. Uh, I absolutely see because he emerged. Uh, I still think Matt Roy plays 20 minutes a night in defense on his top four guy. If you, depends who you pair him with. Like if you pair him with Shane Gossespierre in Arizona, that would work. Right. So to me, it's, it's a possibility. But I, I get. I get what you – I get your jersey take. 100%. I get it. I understand it. It would be tough to see, but with all that depth there, you have to improve the team somehow, and you have to deal from strength. That's the strength. Yeah, because there, Jordan Spence doesn't bring – as much as anybody no. might like Jordan Spence, he doesn't bring the same cachet that Sean Dursey does, right? Agreed. From an age distribution perspective, dursey has been pro a couple years longer, and yep. you know now that you did get three-quarters or half a season out of Dursey, you start to really believe, oh, he's he's on the uptake, right? And with no disrespect to, to Matt Roy, I don't, I don't want to say he would be a throw-in in the deal, but he would be a complementary piece to that deal. He, he cannot be one of the two key main assets that the Coyotes acquire, right? Dursey can. Dursey can be. Okay. Matt Roy cannot be. That's the point I'm trying to make. Okay. I, I value Matt Roy more than you do, which is fine. I, I'm not I'm not devaluing Matt Roy, but you're the Arizona Coyotes. Sell to me that you just traded Jeff Chikrin for Gabe Velarde, Matt Roy, and uh, and, and a first-round pick. No, well, I got to keep the puck out of my net, and Matt Roy will do that. Sean Dursey won't as much. So, to me, that's it. Depend, it's it's how you want to build your team, John, right? I mean, to me, you get a rock-solid defenseman 20, 20 minutes a night that is a better defenseman than Sean Dursey. Like, you know, not all around, but a better defender. It depends what Definitely you want. a better defender. Yeah, it depends what you want coming back. It depends how you're going to build that team. It depends how the GM in Arizona wants to build a team. If he wants more offensive flair, of course, it's Sean Dursey. If he wants a, a steady stay-at-home defenseman, it's Matt Roy. Well, that's why they wanted Brock Faber. So, see, now you circle right. back on that. Faber is a better version of Roy. So, it just depends right. what your appetite is, really, for Matt Roy. And again, I don't mean this disrespectfully to Matt no, Roy. He is a serviceable defenseman, a defensive defenseman. He does a he does a good enough job. We're just talking about uh, you're trading you're trading Chikrin. So, you know, you, yeah. you, you kind of have to keep that in mind when you're talking about the level. And the of arc players. is higher for Sean Dursey. This arc is, is higher, right? So Matt, Matt's established. Matt is Matt. He's not going to change now. Like he's established himself. You know what? It's a known entity. With Sean, there's still some arc to his career. There's a lot of arc to his career, hopefully. All right. So here's how I see the defense shaping up for next year. I think it's uh, one of two scenarios, DB. Curious to see what your feedback would be. I think the defense looks something like this, and you can move a few of the parts around if you want. I think the defense looks something like Mikey Anderson and Drew Doughty on the first pair. Uh, the left defenseman that you acquire uh, mm -hmm. along with Matt Roy on the second pair, a third pairing of, uh, of Bjornfoot and Dursey and uh, uh, excuse me. Um, yeah. And then figure out whoever you want your seventh defenseman could be, uh, you know, only Mata factors in there somehow, because I think there's a potential to reside him at, at, at the right price. I think you can, the devil that you know is better than the devil that you don't know. Right. So are you better off in going yeah. out and, and signing an Problems. unknown commodity that that will cost you more than probably what it would cost you to get Mata back and you know what you get you know how to use him you know how to protect him um but then here's the x factor in all this and that would be Brant Clark 
Yep. If you want to add more offense, and I think that the decision on Clark only can happen after those three boxes that I talked about earlier are checked mm -hmm. off. And it depends how high level you get on those three boxes, right? Because you need more offense from the blue line. And right. And so how do you get that? Well, you get that with Brant Clark. How, you need help on the power play. Well, how do you get that? You get that with Brant Clark. He is a power play guy. He is an offense from the blue line guy. Um, he can play defense though as well, but he's going to give you offense from the blue line. Awesome insertion into the lineup next season, but it further complicates things because of what I talked about. That's another reason why you potentially could trade. Uh, you could trade Dursey, right? Because you go, you go Dowdy down the right side, then you have Roy and then you have Brent Clark and you use him more on the power play. And then you put whoever you want there as your uh, seventh defenseman. The other scenario would be that you don't have Clark and you don't have Chikrin. And you pretty much have what you had last year defensively, DB. You end up with Mikey Anderson and, and Dowdy. You end up with, call it Mata and, and Roy. Uh, did I say Dursey? I meant Dowdy. You have Mikey Anderson and Dowdy. Then you have uh, Mata and Roy. And then you have Bjornfoot and Dursey. And that's your starting six. Those are the two likely scenarios that I see. Here's the problem with Mata. Remember, Mata uh, came on retained salary. They did, yeah. Three, Chicago three. paid half of it. And, yeah. and so... And so if he's going to get more than so, John, here's my question Would you sign Olimata for nine million for two years? Oh, absolutely not. Under no scenario. Uh, well, he might get oh, that. Oh, I'm sorry. Hold on. I'm sorry. You're talking uh, total. <laughs> yeah, no, not yes. 4.5 per for, for per two years. I not thought you're, I thought maybe you hit your head at the airport in Edmonton. I, so. I would have. I would have if it was not if it was 18 <laughs> over two. No, nine over two. Would you sign him or 13 for three? Here's what Four I would tell you. I tell you, I'd really have to think about it. I really would because I don't. I think the days are gone of being able to pluck a serviceable top four defenseman for a million bucks. Right, the Ben Hutton deal is not yeah. out there. Here's the thing, John. You you know what you need to happen? You need Toby Bjornfoot to emerge and be a top four defenseman and go the route that Calgary did and Tampa did. Like Calgary signed, they traded for Zadorov, they signed Gabranson, whether you like those players or not, and. Tampa always seems to get those guys to play to play for a million dollars or a million and a half or two. That's what they need to do. The, the bottom six, like the toughness and the size, that's what they need to do. They need to go find that type of player. I'm not sure who it is. That's what, so if Bjornfoot would emerge and be that top four guys, remember John, he was a healthy scratch in the playoffs. That would he be was that would make it easier. He I was know, injured, but that though. Would, but that would make it easier. So if you oh, it makes it a hell of a lot easier, for right? Sure. That, that's what they need to start doing is, is getting these guys not at four and a half million, but at one and a half, two million veteran guys, a little bit more size. So to me, yeah, it's it's, and I assume Edler wouldn't come back. So that's another. Um, I think you'd be more as much as people like Edler and as good as he was for LA. I think you're more inclined to sign uh, Mata than yeah, yeah. you are Edler just because he's of younger. the age. Yeah, he's the younger, and then. And, and, and Eddie wasn't good coming back after that broken leg. Like he wasn't. Came, the well, player. they rushed him back. He came back too yeah, early, or he rushed yeah. it. Whatever you want to say, he came back. But too uh, early. yeah, great. There's what I think seven years age difference too. So uh, that's it's a just huge, huge it's difference, big, DB. Yep, sure is. Uh, you mentioned a name that is certainly interesting, uh, or, or I think so. Uh, what about Zadorov? Uh, you know, he's going to be a free agent. Yeah, uh, you're talking about a you're talking about a left shot defenseman, somebody who's 27 years old. He certainly would fit right into yep. what they need if you're not able to go out and get a guy like Chikrin. And right. maybe you don't even want to get Chikrin. Maybe you go the opposite. Maybe instead of using all your assets to get the defenseman and signing a free agent forward, maybe you sign a free agent defenseman and then go out and do a mm -hmm. trade in order to fill that spot at forward. 
Yeah, that's a possibility as well. Do you like that player? Zadorov? Yeah. Um, he, he, I like him as a bottom pair defenseman with size. Yeah, I think he, he, he worked in Calgary. Didn't work so much against Connor McDavid, but nobody does. So that's, you know. But yeah, I, I would like that type of, uh, that type of player where it's not going to be too expensive to some size, veteran, uh, you know, he's, he's played in this league. So that that's what they need to start doing, I think, as opposed to, you know, paying four and a half million for Olimar, which you may need to do anyway. Yeah, I, I, I want to be clear about this. I don't think that Edler or Mata are plan A. I don't even think they're plan B. They honestly, DB might not even be plan C. Yeah, They're, they're right. on the list because at some point when things don't work out, you have to circle back to some known commodities and what you might have. It's kind of like Christian Wolanin. Like, if you were to ask me, I know it's further down the depth chart, but, like, sure. are the Kings going to bring Christian Wolanin back? I'm going to say, no, there's no plans to bring Christian Wolanin back. He probably wants to sign elsewhere and have a better opportunity. But when he gets further down his list and he's on plan D, E, F, et cetera, and the Kings are, then you go, you know, it's not a bad, you know, eighth, ninth defenseman to have on your depth chart, and you let him you let him play for the uh, Ontario Reign next year. Sure. Boom, there you go. But I, I don't think that's that's plan A in terms of uh, what Christian Wolanin is going to be doing this summer. All right, let's move into the let's move into the forward spots, DB. Uh, I want to give attention to really the most important thing uh, that the Kings need to address this offseason, which is the power play. And it's not just a coaching situation like we talked about earlier in the year. Mm -hmm. They need to find a way to add offense. Um, let's move from the fourth line up. Here's kind of how I see the roster shaping up. Tell me if you see something similar. Fourth line, I think you have Lazat and Kapari uh, at center and on the right side. I think you... Uh, you're either going to end up with Lemieux or preferably it would be someone like Nick Delorier who could fill that left side. Yeah. What I love about Delorier, drafted as a defenseman by the LA Kings, he's rock solid defensively, a great penalty killer. Um, you could use him in multiple sort of areas. He doesn't just have to be a fourth line, quote unquote, tough guy. Um, certainly gives you the physicality that you need. Good dude in the room. Great dude in the room, actually. Uh, and he also can give you some offense. So that's an upgrade over Lemieux as far as I'm concerned. If you had if you had Delorier, Lazat, and then Kapari, uh, Jod's going to end up making the roster because he's out of waivers. So he's like your 13th or 14th forward. He's going to slip in every once in a while uh, and, and, and replace any of those guys. Third line, I think you're looking at Grunstrom, Byfield, and Kaliev. And the reason I have Kaliev there, DB, and I'm going to give you a chance to respond in a second, is I think you have to elevate Kaliev. You have to elevate him off of the fourth line, but I don't think that he's quite ready yet for top line minutes. So the only other place you could park him would be on the second line, and I just don't think there's a spot for him because on the second line, of course, you have the Trevor Moore, Deneau, and uh, and um, uh, 33, uh, Arvidsson. Yeah, so you have that line set, and that that's going to say that Kaliev then is going to be uh, playing alongside Byfield and Grundstrom. Now, you could make the argument that Arvidsson goes up into the line uh, left wing one and plays with Kempe and Kopitar. My argument there would be that you're really not adding any offense if that's the right. case. You're, you're, the offense that you're adding is you're organically expecting Kaliev to give you more goals. Yes. And even if Kaliev gave you 10 more goals, I don't think that's enough it's not to enough. improve the offense. Exactly. Not enough to improve the offense of the team. So there's my lineup, DB. I think that when you get to the top line, the big hole is there on the left side. Obviously, Forsberg is the sexy one. I don't think Goudreau comes here. You could make a trade, but that's sort of how I see things lining up. Before we get to who could fill that LW1 spot, is that how you see the 12 kind of kind of placing out? Yeah, absolutely. With respect to graduating Kaliev, remember, Kaliev in the playoffs played 11 minutes and 54 seconds. He's got to play 13. He's got to be like Toffoli was. Well, you start to give him 15 minutes a night. That that would be perfect, I think, for Arthur. And I think his, his productivity would improve. Now, 
I still question his ability to pay, play at pace. I'm still a little bit excited, But that's what you would need to see from that. You see one guy that you didn't bring up, John. I have a question for you. Do, what do you do with Anderson? Do you not qualify him, Lewis Anderson? Well, I was waiting for you to bring up another name that wasn't included there, which was number 19. So I guess we'll get to that eventually. Uh, 22 is definitely out. So please don't ask me about him. Uh, yeah. But back to Leas Anderson. I just don't think that there's an opportunity for Leas Anderson to come back. And here's the problem. It's a real bummer because um, he just didn't find his way into the lineup enough. You know, he was injured and there were some problems. But mm -hmm. in order to earn a contract and to be part of the future, he really needs to or would have needed to play more. I don't think they saw enough. I don't think there's a reason to go yeah. like, hey, let's go another year. They have right. so many kids coming and, you yeah. know, like Jod coming yeah. off uh, being, uh, you know, um, he's ineligible for waivers. You know, he automatically takes one of your two additional forward spots. And so I think the Kings are going to be up against the cap next year uh, because they only have around eight million to spend. So even if you move a guy like Walker out, even if you move a guy like Jersey out to try to create some cap room and we'll get to 19. Mm -hmm. And but if you spend all that money on your left wing one and you upgrade yeah. something within the defense, like we talked about, and you upgrade a little bit over what you were paying Lemieux, you're out of money, DB. So from that reason, yeah. you don't want to carry 14 forwards every single night. You probably only want to carry 13 most nights, especially when you're at home, which is what we've seen them do over the last two years. So, again, for those reasons, I just don't think there's a room or a spot for Leas Anderson. And, and to your point about incremental offense and you're saying well, if you move already up, you get 10 more goals is Adrian Kepi scoring 35 is Phil Deneau scoring 27 is Trevor Moore going to be that point monster again next season that that's why you need to yeah you need an upgrade you need outside the organization because it's not just gonna three players aren't going to come up well and the other thing John is what's Q going to give you that's a huge question at this point in time like what's he what's he going to give you in that third line spot like he needs to be 18, 20, 18 to 20, maybe, or 15 to 18. Too many. The same amount of assists. I think it's too many. I think you're, I think that puts too much pressure on him. I think he's a young player. I don't think that you want to go in thinking that. I think you want to go in thinking he's going to give you 8 to 10 goals in his second year, and anything that he gives you beyond that is a bonus. Yes, I okay. know they need more, Dennis, but you don't want to go in thinking that you're going to need that because that's really what happened with Velarde when he was there two years ago, and that pressure on those young players some And then when it doesn't happen, it's kind of like the world around them. The team sort of starts to crumble. The team needs to know that the offense is going to come from the top two lines. And they have confidence in Phil Deneau. They have confidence in Victor Arvidsson. They have confidence in Kopitar and Kempe. And now they have confidence in, in Trevor Moore. Maybe it's not at the same level of those other players, but they have confidence. Now mm -hmm. you give them another legitimate weapon, and it takes some of the pressure off that third line. Dennis, we talked about this. It was my favorite question during the postseason uh, with, you know, exit interviews, regression. I asked mm -hmm. Kempe about it. I asked to know about it. You know, yep. you don't want regression. I love to comment. There's no room for regression, just progression. And he's right. There needs to be progression. Yeah, right. Um, but you know, you love the Rangers and the kid line. Come on, pay attention. Todd McClellan, the kid lines working in New York. That third line needs to be a kid line here in Los Angeles. Uh, so you but know, wait a minute, John. Ah, uh, here we go. Wait a minute. No, 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 no. Wait a minute. Alexis Lafreniere in a second year progressed like to a pretty good level, I want that progression okay. from Quentin Byfield. And you, you're saying it might be too much. I'm not asking him to produce, like, but I want to see like movement. Yeah, yeah. Uh, eight, eight goals for me isn't good enough. Be I'm, frank I'm, what, with you. 12? If I had 12, yeah. I'd be fine. Okay, I, I, so I don't need 18. 12. Okay. All right. Can we meet at 12? Can we meet there? 15. 15. <laughs> Third line center, 15. Let's go. 14. 14. Okay, Let's 14. Go to 14. I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you one. <laughs> I'll give you one back. Uh, 
Okay, you like the move for Deloria. You were nodding your head. You like the idea of, of finding a way to get Nick Deloria out of Minnesota and putting him on the fourth line left wing. Okay, let me let me start a pot right now. Oh boy, the the Kings at the at the trade deadline traded for Troy Stetcher, and that was it. And they had done more work at the trade deadline. They probably beat the Edmonton Oilers. Okay. Okay. So yes, I like Deloria. Um, I, I yes, absolutely would be a fit here. And the type of player they need. He's a better version of Brendan Lemieux. Yeah. Yeah. It's an upgrade. Yep. Okay. So let's move off of that. Um, do you, unless you have another candidate that you want to talk about, I, I don't have a no. long list of candidates. Okay. So let's move to the headline position, which is left wing one. It sounds like you and I are both in agreement that you don't want to move Arvidsson up to that line. It sounds like you don't want to move Cali up to that line. And so it sounds like we're in agreement that that LW1 on opening night must come from outside the organization. Yeah, I don't see the player inside right now. Agreed. Okay, so you have a list of free agents. You have a list of trade potential, you know, sort of candidates. Uh, you know, Philip Forsberg seems to be sexy player number one at the top of the right. list. Go, go off the board, DB. Give us, give us another name that you're thinking about. I'm not going to give you a name, but oh. I, I'm going to give you the type of player, John. Okay, and I've been saying this for a year. They need a big goal scorer. They, they, here's watching the playoffs and watching the play. You know what they don't have, John? Other than Kopitar, they don't have an elite passer. They don't have Panarin. Like, they don't have Goudreau. I'm not saying sign Goudreau. They don't have that type of player that makes these on-the-tape passes. Like, Adrian Kepi is a really good goal scorer. He's not a good passer. They don't have a good enough passers. And without Drew in the line, you even saw, to me, that's the type of player that they need. Not a goal scorer, a playmaker that will put the puck on Kaliev's stick on Arvidsson's stick. And you can rely on Kopi, but Kopi only had 61 points this year. You need another great passer on the top six. That's a type. Now, I, I can't, I haven't done enough homework to say X player Y. Johnny, Johnny Goudreau would be the guy, but are you paying him 10 million over? No, <laughs> you can't. Shoot. Is that I love Johnny Goudreau, by the way, but so I can't I. see them paying him 10 million. You know me. I would because of that. It's that type of player, but I, I don't think it's in the mix here. Right, I agree with you there, but but that's the type of player I want. I, I don't need to go get, um, I, I like Chris. Well, it wouldn't be Chris Crowder, but I, they don't need a physical score. They need another facilitator. Like that's what they need on the top six. The guy that that will finish that, that make plays that make those cross ice passes. Not not like Leon Drysdale, but you, could, you see what I'm saying. Like that's the type of player that they need. They don't need Evander Kane. They need the guy to get the puck to Evander Kane. That's what I want from this on that top six. So you're not going to start the Patrick Kane to LA rumor then is what you're saying. Oh, okay. I will, <laughs> but that type of player, John, he okay. makes better. He makes the players around him better. Mm -hmm. right? That's the type of, they need one more of those players. Cause I think, and, and you can now bring up number 19. If you had another passer, another facilitator, would I follow be a 25 or 30 goal scorer? Maybe. I think that's the type of player that they need. I think that 19 is one of the most fascinating players to follow this summer yeah. because just like Sean Dersey, mm -hmm. where you go, how does this really fit in? How do you make this all work? I look at Alex Iafalo. I know he was injured. I know he was hurt. And, and, it, or, or I believe <laughs> that he was injured and he was hurt for a period of time. I won't say I know anything. He didn't call me or text me, but I believe he was injured for an extended period of time. And I get all of that. I get it was a down season. 
Um, you know, and that last year he was playing for a contract. And so that has something to do with it, but that speaks to regression as well. That would, yeah. should cause you concern for, for Kempe and whatever kind of deal he gets. But it, it boils down to this, Dennis, what do you do with 19? Because for this team to take the next step, we all know we've been saying it for three, four years now. He can't be the number one left wing. He was never intended to be the LW one. The idea was for him to always slide down really to be the yeah. third line left wing. And he kind right. of talked his way into, in, in, into, maybe being a second line left wing with the play that he had last year, this year, he certainly has looked like more like the third line left wing, or maybe even a fourth line left wing that everybody expected. So again, if you could add toughness with defensemen, remember I said, if you could check two of the three boxes right. with one player, if you could get the left-handed Josh Manson, that gives you toughness and left shot D then maybe you could move. I follow to a fourth line left wing spot, or maybe even a third line and then let, let Grundstrom play on the fourth line. I don't like that line as much, though, DB. I don't like Ayafalo with QB and uh, Kaliev, just for my, my own perspective. Do you have an opinion, Grundstrom or Ayafalo on that line? Yeah, Ayafalo. I, I think you're right off last season. I want to see. If he does that again this season, then yeah. And I <clears throat> I just don't I don't know about Grundstrom. Every time he goes in the lineup, he plays, but he's been out of the lineup too much. You need the guy to play 70, 75 games. The body of work isn't there. The body of work is there for Alex. I just think he had a bad season, and maybe with a better facilitator, maybe with an improvement from um, QB, maybe he's that goal scorer again. All right. Well, I'm going to give you my I told you so moment of the podcast then, DB. You might remember several episodes ago. Do you remember what my gripe was about the LA Kings in the regular season? My one gripe? No, I don't remember. Tell me. I wanted to see more from Carl Grundstrom. That's I expected coming into the year that he was going to get more games and more minutes, and he wasn't used enough throughout the regular season. That was my gripe, so I liked what I saw in the playoffs, and I want to yeah. see more of him next year. I love what he brings. He's versatile, right side, left side. He's physical. I like Carl Grundstrom, and I think that he uh, has a spot inside the bottom six for the LA Kings next year. Yeah, well, look, there's no Brown. There's no Anthony C. There's no reason why he shouldn't be on the roster. Absolutely not. He should be in the starting lineup opening night. Did we get you on the record then that you don't want to bring 22 back for next year? Yeah, I don't know. His playoff, his playoff was just no. I'm sorry. Yeah. And Todd loves him. Todd loved him. And he always pumped his it. tires. He's the most talented it. winger. But no, that playoff, just the, the, what he did in the playoffs, just no. I would be stunned. Even right. one year, one million. I, I just, no, move on. I'd be stunned at one year, 500,000. And that's not oh, even legally possible. Not because even it's the exactly, NHL minimum. But, minimum yeah. exactly. <laughs> I mean, all right, Dennis, it's been an extended show, a great first, second, and third period. It's been great to talk to you. Enjoy your time at Edmonton. I want to leave everybody on a high note with a little bit of a teaser. We talked about potential coaching candidates in Ontario, but uh, we didn't really have a chance to get into LA, but this name, these two names I'm going to leave you with are specific to don't sleep on these two names potentially to be added to the, uh, Ontario Rain coaching staff, and they're well-known players in Southern California. One of them is Eric Belanger, and another one is Sean Van Allen. So those are two players I'm going to leave you with, DB, that could potentially be in the mix uh, for some sort of a responsibility behind the bench there in Ontario. Enjoy yourself, DB. Uh, good luck to Colorado tonight, although I know you'll show up in the press box wearing your Oilers uh, jersey because you have the Oilers in six, and if that's going to happen... They need to go on a four-streak, a winning, four-game winning streak right. starting tonight. Starts so tonight, good luck. John. Thanks, bud. Great episode. Have a good week, everybody. I'm getting sick of all the cold and sun.